Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. The Afterword's our weekly conversation where we talk about what we didn't get to talk about. And this week we're going to be talking about just uh, a very difficult and fascinating story in the Bible. As I was doing research for the Abraham book, I found out there was no other moment in the entire narrative of Abraham's life that was more fixated on by poets, by authors and writers, and represented in visual form by artists across history than the moment of Abraham and Isaac, the sacrificing of Isaac, or as Jewish scholars call it, and the Jewish community calls it, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. This has captured the hearts and minds and puzzled the hearts and minds of humans for generations. And we hope that this past weekend's message actually helped bring some clarity to the depth and the beauty and the meaning of that story. But these stories are usually best processed in community. Just in general, I just think that's true about the Bible. So so I invited Liz Diddy and Sarah Lee on just to help me process this. So let's hear what they have to say and let's dive in. Welcome to the afterward. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm here with Liz Diddy. Liz. Hey, Dave. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Uh, Liz, we are in. The reason I'm excited is because I need help. This is a, a passage of scripture that we're looking at, the story of the uh, binding of Isaac, uh, the story of Isaac and Abraham, which is really, really tough. And so I'm just glad you're here to share with me in the difficulty of this story. So um, it's a it's a it's an it packs an emotional wallop yeah um and it's supposed to i i think when you read uh i don't read the old testament in hebrew but even when you read in english you get a hint and i've heard that when you heat it or read it in hebrew it's even more obvious that um it's just it's like you're getting punched with these short statements um with Without a lot of explanation or feeling or expression, and it's just one, two, three, four, and and they're all really, really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess my first question is, why is this story so difficult? Um, or when you think about this story, just from a both theological and personal standpoint, why is this story so hard, so difficult for us to to even read? Well, yeah, I mean, at face value, you know, um, we all sing songs about loving God. A lot of us have shaped our lives around how good God is and what a good father he is. Uh, and then we read this story and God sounds horrible. Um, and, you know, especially if we read it from the beginning, when you recognize who Isaac is and how long Abraham waited for him and the way that God miraculously gave uh, him to Abraham and Sarah, the fact that he would then uh, take that away, um, go back on that promise in such a violent way and demand, I mean, the death, the murder of a child, like, does that mm -hmm. sound like our God? 
someone mm-hmm. who asks mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a like ritualistic murder of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No, that is not the God who we worship. That's not the God who we talk about in church. And actually that is not the God in this story either. And I think that that's one of the most important things um, to look at when you read it at face value the first time through, especially outside of cultural context, it just sounds like God's asking uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son. Uh, And in fact, the whole point of the story is that God is not the God who asks people to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, The, like where um, Abraham was running around that is not an uncommon request from pagan gods and idols to sacrifice a child, to sacrifice um, uh, something very dear to you. And it's all about the God, you proving your loyalty to the gods um, so that they would, you know, give rain or, or, or give some sort of transactional thing to you. And um, when God asks Abraham to do this, Abraham does it not just because he trusts God and we find out in Hebrews, another important key of why he does it. But, um, but this is like, not, this is not out of his framework. This is not out of like the, the local thing of, of what God's asked people to do. But in fact, you're saying God, in the ancient, in the ancient world, in ancient Mesopotamia, this is just common that these are what this, pagan gods asked. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that pagan gods ask their worshipers to do. So the, the, but the, the truth is that God has designed from the very beginning that that is not what is going to happen. And so this is um, intended to be a very deep contrast um, that that might be what other gods are like, but that is not what, yeah. what the God of Israel um, is like. I mean, at this yeah, point, and, the God of Abraham. Just- yeah, just to just to dovetail on that, there's a, a whole slew of Mosaic law um, that actually prohibits specifically in incredibly strong language child sacrifice. Uh, like uh, Leviticus 18, um, God says you shouldn't give any of your children or offer them offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Um, and then in uh, Leviticus, anyone, anyone who offers his children to Moloch shall be put to death. The people of the land shall kill him with stones. I set my, I myself will set my face against that man and cut him off from his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch. Uh, so the, uh, Moloch was a, a, a God that demanded child sacrifice in, in the ancient world. And uh, this is, so this is sp- specifically prohibited. We're not there in the story yet though. We don't know that. No, but this you know? is a this is kind of a big dramatic reveal of who God is, and it mm. is the opposite of of yeah. who the pagan gods are and yeah. the kinds of people who would ask you to do this. Okay, um, let me ask you this question. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was down in LA with my brother in law, and he was running sound for a small theater down there. And there was a woman named Julia Sweeney who used to be on Saturday Night Live doing a one woman show. And the name of the show was Letting Go of God. She had grown up in, um, I think, a, a religious environment, uh, Mormon, I think she was, and she just like let go of that. And then the rest of the story was like letting go of all these other uh, religions. And it was actually really funny, but then it got to some parts that it wasn't. And it's just this, this idea that God is a child abuser. 
um, that this is what God asks of Abraham. It's just so horrific. Oh, she brought up in her comedy show, whatever she brought up. The yeah. Story. Yeah. She yeah. brought up the story. Like God, God asked people to kill their kid. And then she's like, nice family values, you know, and everyone laughs in the, the theater. And I was like, I, I, you've heard that, right. You've heard people, you know, caricature this story. It just feels like not, I, it just feels just not uh, true. It's like, that's not what the, it's like watching uh, Star Wars and ending in episode five and thinking that Darth Vader is a bad guy. It's like, no, 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 there's more to the story or watching Star Wars and ending in episode two and thinking that Anakin Skywalker is a hero. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not, you know what I'm saying? Have you heard this before? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it'd be hard not to think that after you read the story, right? Right, right, right. Um, you know, it's a hard story. Um, and the, I think one of the things that this story does is it, it should help. It should be one of the things that points us to, okay, Hey, whoa, that doesn't make sense. What's going on here? Um, right. And we should be asking questions of the story. We should be asking questions of the text. We should be asking questions of the context and the culture and all of that stuff. Um, and, and of the bigger story, because, you know, we'll see sort of a tie at the end that's going to um, sort of uh, make it make even a, a little bit more sense. But I think it is supposed to feel nonsensical uh, and disorienting. And we're supposed to feel the narrator has, the narrator does not make a lot of excuses in this story. The narrator could tell us up front, you know, God, you know, planned to do this thing and he was never going to kill Isaac, but he asked Abraham to take him up. He doesn't do that. He, right. he, he forces us very, very intentionally to live in this tension and to wait until we get to the top of the mountain to see what Abraham is going to do and to see what God is going to do. And there yeah. is no shortage of tension there, um, yeah. but it's by design. Yeah. Yeah. So multiple times, Abraham says um, this phrase in Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, God's going to provide. Um, is that in that, in your mind, is that the big takeaway from this or like, how do you, how do you process the end of this story, but also its place in the Bible and in the big grand narrative of scripture. Like what's your takeaway from this difficult story? Yeah. Well, I, I kind of feel like I should be asking you these questions since you and Jay were the ones um, teaching on this this weekend. But um, I, uh, I think that, you know, there's um, this is one of those stories that you and I, I mean, we did a digging deeper with this, with Jay, like, more than five years ago. Um, mm. right. Like we've, I, I feel like we've had these conversations multiple times and every time we do, there's something different. There's something different that I see there. This is a story that is not really, um, it's not easy to understand on the first time. I think the biggest thing that everyone needs to know is that this story does not prove that God is not good. Um, and this story does not depict, a, um, a crazy God who, um, who asked Abraham to kill his son and then, you know, sort of on a whim changed his mind and said, no, mm -hmm. um, that's not right. the God who this yeah. story is depicting. Um, this story is depicting a God who, um, is unlike the other gods, 
Um, you know, if you were to raise a knife over your own child would stop your hand. And in, in the Mosaic law, we'll see even more, like you said, how adamantly opposed he is. Um, I mean, to the murder of any of his human image bearers. Um, but, um, but then there's just all of these layers, right? That every time you come to it, um, it's like Isaac, you know, um, he's carrying all of the sticks up to the top of this mountain. Abraham's actually pretty old by this point. So how, you know, like people vary on how old they think Isaac was, but he was probably around 16 or so. Um, some, like some people say, I don't know if you have a number you're using on Sunday, but he's like, he's a teenager. He's no, not the, like a, the research is pretty all over the place. There's Jewish tradition, there's biblical tradition, there's Christian tradition. It's somewhere between, uh, uh he's old enough to have a self-will and old enough to carry the stick. So they put it between 10 and 33. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the numbers that I've had. Uh, the Jewish tradition is 25, I think. And there's some traditions that say he's 33, the same age as Jesus. Cause they're trying to oh. make a tie. They're trying sure. to make a tie to, uh, to Jesus. Um, but he's obviously old. Like you said, he's old enough to know what the heck's going on. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's a, you know, I think sometimes when I read the story, I hear the like, dad, where are we going in kind of a, like a much younger child's voice. Um, but this is mm. like you said, like I, like Isaac is going on his own journey of, of trust and of discovering who God is alongside Abraham here. Um, and I think, so I think, you know, every time you read it, there's just something different to notice. The tough part is, like I said, the narrator does not let us put like an easy bow or an easy out on this story. Um, he doesn't want, he doesn't want us to do that. So, um, so we're sort of forced into this, um, again, just this like really crazy tension. I was just going to say, when we look at the whole story of, of who God is, and then we start tying this story to the other parts of the story that we know now, um, then it's, you know, um, it has some, it has additional layers of, um, of symbolism and significance that you really, it's really, really hard to pick up on the first time. Yeah. Um, now, the folks who, who are listening to this can't see, but you have a writing desk and, and your writing desk has a, a little thing on it. It's a, I, it's a, it's a trink, not trinket, I suppose. It's a, it's a little, it's, it's a golden it's an ram. Icon. It's an <laughs> icon. It's a golden ram. You have a golden ram on your desk. So obviously it's does a that bronze talk, ram, a bronze my, ram, my a golden husband, idol. You yes. have a golden idol on your desk. And so therefore you're an idolater and should be burned. Yes, no, that's what Mike <laughs> called it. When he saw it, he was like, why do you have a golden calf on your desk? It's not like a golden really calf. It's a, it's a bronze, it's a it's bronze, bronze ram. ram. Okay. So talk bronze to me the story ram, behind people. that, because I, it seems like that ties to this story. So talk about that and how, that bronze ram, what does that mean to you? And then where did it come from? And, and what lessons um, did you glean from Abraham's story? Yeah. So obviously God does not um, come off as a good God when he issues the initial request to, um, to Abraham to, to offer Isaac. Um, but I, I, it is really hard not to see his goodness when, um, Abraham turns and there's, there's a ram that's, that's in the thicket. 
mm-hmm. um, were, you know, kind of caught by the horns in, in the bushes. And um, for me, there was, um, there's something about that um, where Abraham, you know, is in this moment of feeling like he is in an inescapable, impossible problem where not only is his son's life going to end, his life is going to end when Isaac's life ends. Um, how, how do you come back from that as a father? How, how do you go down the hill and tell your wife? Um, how do you start a nation? How do you live out the promise that God's given you? Um, there's like, he, he is really, um, he is in a situation that is just beyond impossible. Yeah. Um, and, and so is Isaac. Um, and Isaac is, is allowing himself to be there. Like you said, he has, he has a will, he, he has strength and, um, and there is, we're just in this moment and God, not only, um, intercedes and, and stops the, stops the knife and is like, no, this isn't, this is not what, um, is happening. This is not what I actually am asking for. This is not what, I, this is not who I am. This is not what I want. Um, but, but Abraham hears this, this bleeding coming, um, bleating, not bleeding, <laughs> um, coming from the bushes nearby. And there's a ram that's caught there. And, and God, um, God has provided the ram. And there's, um, in my mind, you know, um, that ram did not just, you know, like magically Appear, fall like from bing. heaven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That ram was walking around the hillside and got caught in a bush. And, um, you know, who knows how long um, it had been there or, you know, if it had, but um, Isaac and Abraham, neither of them had any idea that God had another way um, or that God had made provision for them when they thought that there was, it was completely impossible. And so, um, I like in a very, very, (laughs) very insignificant, incomparable way. Um, For me, that ram has become just sort of a picture of um, when I feel like I've come to something that is an absolutely no win situation um, that there does not seem to be a way out or a way through. There is not, I do not have what I need. Um, then I just, I, I, this image comes to my mind of, um, a way that God had gifted provision had provided for Abraham and Isaac without them realizing it, um, had made another way without them, without them knowing. Um, and they just needed to, they just needed to be told where to look. And so, um, that's, that's become a prayer of mine is just, God, where do I need to look to see the way through or the way out or the provision that you have in this thing that seems really impossible right now? And again, it's, it's very, no, that's very incomparable to like sacrificing children. But at the same time, it is incredibly consistent with the character that we see of God in the old Testament and the new. And I've been amazed time and again, 
um, the way that his provision has been in plain sight or nearby or like pre-provided without me knowing it. Um, and that, that really is who God is. Um, and that like, um, even in this story, even though it's not obvious, um, his, his goodness is right here. Um, and then we'll see how that goodness gets echoed and amplified, um, not just through his provision of a ram, but through, um, his own sacrifice, um, in the new Testament. And Dave, I know you, you talk about this on Sunday, but do you want to talk about how you see that tie to, um, to the sacrifice of, of Jesus? Yeah, there's, I mean, we're meant to, this is one of the three dominant images in the old testament of what christ is and what he's about um you know we talk about the three dominant images in the old testament are this isaac the binding of isaac and the provision of the ram um the exodus passover lamb and then the atonement uh the two lambs at atonement um they're all kind of images of what jesus is doing and how he's rescuing us you know there's the the cleansing and the forgiveness and the uh, possibility of relationship with the day of atonement, those two, those two lamb, those two, um, sorry, those two goats. And then there's the, the Passover lamb. That's the rescue from oppression and slavery. And then there's the provision of God here and, and in Isaac. And there's so many ties. I mean, you've got the, you know, the son that's devoted, that's walking up the hill. You've got the, the wood on his back. But even more incredible to me was learning that this was the actual hill that Jerusalem was built on, and that later on, that Jerusalem would be built on that same mountain that Abraham and Isaac went up, and that outside the the city walls of Jerusalem is where Jesus himself would be led up another small hill, and he would be crucified at Golgotha. So it's the exact same location that God would do this exact same um, provision. So for me, that was uh, astonishing. And, and just to tie back to your idea that, you know, God's provided this ram, uh, do you know that this, this is the first time in scripture, the word ram's horn it shows up? No. And do you know that the Jewish call to worship is blowing a ram's horn? I never made that connection before. And the blowing of the shofar is a purposeful reminder of the binding of Isaac. And it's a reminder that God is a God who provides. And it has been for for thousands of years that the blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn, is a tie back, a, a hyperlink back to the very provision of God. So when you go to God in prayer at the temple, you're reminded what kind of God you have. In a real way, every prayer for provision for God's people from time immemorial is a reminder of God, you know, manna in the, you know, he provides manna in the desert. Like this is what God does, right? He's, he's a provider. So I think yeah. that that's kind of a, a, a beautiful tie. And right. I think that that's the, um, that's the thing where it takes, it takes some extra reading and extra, um, you know, conversation, yeah. um, to sort of understand why this story is here. And, um, and it's a hard story, but it does point us, um, points us forward in, in the big story to Jesus. And it also, um, it also absolutely demonstrates that, um, that who God is, that he is not like the other gods. Um, there's just so much of God's goodness, um, hidden beneath the story of this, beneath totally. the layers of this really difficult story. You know, Liz, I just want to say Christmas is coming up in just a few, a uh, few weeks. Uh, if you see a bronze Ram somewhere, 
Uh, I'm just saying that would be an excellent, uh, that'd be an excellent Christmas gift. If you, you want, want to pick one, one for up. your desk for too. Me, for my desk. And I would like, I'd like <laughs> it to be bronze, not because I don't want your husband coming over and saying, Hey, listen, you've got a golden calf on your desk too, but a, I'd like a bronze Ram. It would be, it's a beautiful image. I love it. I love it. A reminder that, uh, that, that God's already made a way and we, we just might not recognize or see it until exactly the right time, but God is a God who provides. That's a, that's an awesome image. And, um, I hope, I hope they remake those, uh, bronze Rams at target or yeah. Macy's or wherever it was. Target, you target like a long time ago. So I don't know if they still have them, but you know, <laughs> well, thanks for helping us uh, get through this difficult story and, and finding it's, it's beauty, which is not really that hidden. It's not like we're making it's, it's right there. You just got to read more, you know? So thanks for helping us get through that. All right. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the afterward here with Sarah Lee. Sarah. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Dave. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, so this past week, we talked about Abraham and Isaac. Lots to say about that story. But um, one of the things that is kind of interesting is the idea of what the story teaches us modern people about focusing our mind on the right things. Like, uh, and the reason I say that is because we've talked about this in the book a little bit, but in Hebrews 11, uh, we don't have a whole lot of insight into Abraham's inner space. You know, we, we just right. don't have that. Um, we can make some guesses, but we are given a big hint in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that it, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice and then um, even though it, Abraham had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abra and then verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. The author of Hebrews is, is kind of throwing light backwards onto the story. And it's there. Uh, if you recall, before they head up the mountain, Abraham says, my son and I will come back to you in a couple of days. Right. So there's a sense in which he, he must have believed this or uh, it is remarkable. But what he's basically saying is like Abraham is thinking in his head like he's he's processing theology on the fly. And we have to be fair to Abraham. He doesn't have thousands of years of history. He doesn't have the saints and the sages through the ages. He doesn't have the church. Right. I mean, this is early in the story. And he thinks to himself, hey, look, if, if God can bring life from where there was no life before in my just my wife's barren womb, if he can bring life there, then he can bring a boy back to life if, if I if I kill him. So this must be what's going on. But what's key here, I think, is the word reason, the idea of thinking well about God. What were your thoughts on that? And, and how did that strike you? And do you think that that's an application from this story? Or as, as you kind of think about uh, the story of Isaac and Abraham? Yeah, that just really ties into loving God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's like, I think it's that mind piece and how it's just so important what we think about and our expectations of God, first and foremost, that we have to be so careful to center our thoughts on him and that um, that's going to just change everything. You had a quote from Tozer that um, I thought was pretty interesting. And I, I think it's in from his knowledge of the holy. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. At the very, I think it's the first page of the first chapter. The most important thing about a person is what they think about God. 
so that okay we're just going to pause there for a second all right the most important thing about a person is what they think about god do you do you think that's true is that overstatement or do you think that th- there's a lot of truth in that i think there's a lot of truth in that and even like modern positive psychology has done research and shown that that what we think about and the reality that we're living in our head becomes true and it it affects the way that we behave. And so the way you think about God and that paradigm, your worldview is going to affect everything else in your life. Yeah. There's so much in that. Let's try to unpack this. Uh, In the book, we talked about psychologist Mihaly, Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote a book called Flow. And, And this is a pretty exceptional bit of research. He said this, when left to itself, the mind turns to bad thoughts, trivial plans, sad memories and worries about the future disorder confusion and decay are the default option of consciousness okay so if that is true it's really important for us to not do that because <laughs> that sounds pretty miserable right yeah and and, and and this is where obviously abraham could have gone right bad right. thoughts bad worries about the future disorder confusion decay And yet it looks like the author of Hebrews is trying to say something about focusing our mind, reasoning, thinking well. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's all over the New Testament, right? That Paul talks about not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by renewing of your mind. It's, It's that lived theology where it's not just or what you think in your head, the theology and your thoughts of God become the way that you live. And the way that you're going to act. What does that mean, though, for our um, our smartphone kind of world? Like uh, Daniel Goleman, who's a psychologist who wrote a book called Focus, The Hidden Driver of Excellence, says that we live in an age of impoverishment of attention. Smartphones and gadgets allow us to jack into a never-ending supply of messages and alerts. Some of those alerts are, are important, but most of them are trivial, but they all demand notice. And he says that creates like a neural buzz that actually overwhelms our ability to, to, to focus. And I think what the, the authors of scripture are inviting us into is a more focused connection to God, his word, his way, his, do you know what I mean? Like, and that, but that's like, that's really hard. Not just because as Mihaly, Csikszentmihalyi says, and also Daniel Goleman says, our minds tend toward disorder, but also we live in a distracted age with lots of buzzing. Yeah, which also, it goes to show like we're always being formed. Like we are disciples of someone or something and we get to choose. Like we have agency of who are we going to let form us? Who, are, Which voices are we going to listen to? And man, it's gotta be the Bible. It's gotta be God's word first and foremost, that that should be the lens that we look through look everything through what kinds of things have helped um just as as you think about your own spiritual formation and what kinds of things do you advise people that that has helped you i know mileage may vary for everybody but what kinds of things have helped you yeah i mean i just want to be really careful that like everyone is so different and i don't want to be prescriptive at all like there is not one formula that works for everybody at all i've always been an avid reader so reading's been really uh, formative, but I noticed three years ago, I was reading a lot about the Bible, but I was not reading the Bible itself. 
And so Ooh. that was a big change that I started reading the Bible in a year, the Bible in six months, the Bible in 90 days. Like I've done each of those plans multiple times and that's been really helpful. And then just being in community, talking about it with other people. Yeah. That's all an important part of the, of my process. And it's, yeah. it's also seeing the Bible, like Scott McKnight was really helpful. He said that God gave the Bible, not so we can know it, but so we can know and love God through it. And so that difference is not just to get information into my head. It's that I would know God, that knowing and loving him, how much he loves me and the whole world. And then for that to overflow into loving others, love your neighbor as yourself. Like that's, that paradigm has been really big. Well, thanks, Sarah, for marching through this. And thanks for being with us and sharing your thoughts. Yeah, thanks. All right, everybody, that's it for this week's show. Uh, join us next week where we actually close out the Abraham series. Can you believe it? It's almost time to end this journey with Abraham through his life. We'll be closing up shop on our final week in the series so join us for that and then well it's almost going to be christmas season so we got to start looking forward to jesus so that's exciting so we'll see you next week <laughs>